Good day, friends, and welcome to another episode of Beyond Grit with me, Robert Young. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about our minds, and we're going to talk about how important it is to set a positive mindset, to do that early in the morning, to do that with any goal that you want to achieve. Athletes do it before their performances. They picture themselves accomplishing the feat, and then they go out and they execute it. The entrepreneur that believes in their product or believes in their business and what they want to create, they set that mindset, that powerful mindset of completing their goals and they strive and they go to it and they finish it. They have the person that's just dreaming for a better life. I want to do something with my life. I want to be somebody and they dream about it and they set that mindset and they figure out and they, they pick a path where they want to do and how they want to get there and they're not going to let anybody stop them we all go through the negativity in our minds we all go through the imposter syndrome and the mind can be very evil and very destructive if we allow it but it can be very powerful and very strong if we also allow it to do that um, you know, Henry Ford famously said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Now, I want to ask you, do you control your mind or do you let it control you? Uh, whenever I get upset, my wife always reminds me that it's my choice on how I react to things. I always have a choice of either flying off the handle or taking a deep breath and then deciding how I want to tackle the problem. I always try to start my day with reading, reflecting on gratitude. I work out, I do stretches because taking care of your body or my body, my physical body is just as important as my mind. And then I head into work. I listen to a podcast regarding my work, maybe a podcast on mindset. I want to do everything possible to set myself up for success that day. And it all starts with the first step, which is to identify what you want out of life. And from there, you set your mind right to accomplish it. Start small. You'll begin gaining momentum and confidence. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, a year ago, I couldn't even do this task. And now I do this and this and this and this. So it's all good. It's confidence. It's knowing your ability and knowing you can do it. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, a tea. I'm going to have a chat with my man, Brennan Lang, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Brennan, how are you? Not doing so bad. How about yourself? I'm good. So today I'm sitting with Brennan Lang and Brennan does a lot of outdoor activities, which I find pretty cool because I like to do a lot of outdoor activities. Um, he's into backpacking, rock climbing, but one of the things that he does that I will never do is a lot of endurance races and by endurance, uh, ultra marathons, which are huge. And we'll talk about those and we'll talk about the mileage and the training that it takes for those races. Um, we'll also talk about different things, um, isolation and fatigue. So when you're out and you're running and you're doing those long distances, it's you, it's you and your brain going through. So we'll talk about that, uh, the boundary between badass and dumbass, 
which we've all been there. I've been there. Most everybody's been there. Um, obsession versus delirium. And then well-intentioned negativity versus true negativity. And, and we'll dive into that and we'll discuss that. But um, we're going to jump right in this. And Brennan, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, um, you know, I, I grew up in Rochester, New York. I had, I came from a split household. Um, I have great parents on both sides. My, my dad and my stepmom have always been very supportive. My mom has always been very supportive. Um, I was lucky to grow up with aunts, uncles, grandparents, a, a huge family on both sides that have always been very supportive. In terms of the outdoor stuff, I've just always really been interested in it. I remember being 12 years old and I would do anything to go outside, be outside and stay outside all day and night long. Finally, I got a car and that was that was what I did is I spent my time outside and that's pretty much all I did that in sports in high school. Um, Were you actually, an only child or do you have siblings? No, I, I've got a I've got an older stepsister and I've got a younger brother, uh, each with their own interests don't really align with me. I'm, I'm kind of a, a little bit odd in, in that way. No one no one in my family is really interested in what what I'm what I'm interested in. But uh, it's, uh, that's funny. <laughs> same with same with me and my wife. I don't know where we came from but I love it. I enjoy it. And, uh, we always say we're kind of odd birds too, but, uh, go on. So in high school, I ran, um, I ran track just kind of as a fluke. Um, my high school, there was a lot of kids on the track team happened to be a lot of my friends. And they're like, why don't you run track instead of playing lacrosse? Cause I was absolutely awful at lacrosse. Um, so I did, and I was actually a sprinter and, this is kind of the first time I started to learn about that boundary between the uh, dumbass and, and badass is I, I have one foot that is flat and I don't fully know the ramifications of that, but according to the physical therapist, it, it caused some of the uh, muscles around the knee and my left foot and the muscles around and the socket of my hip on the left-hand side is actually starting to close. Uh, what that means in terms of running is that in high school sports, they just kind of push you, push you, push you. And I did a lot of damage and I actually didn't run for almost four or five years. And then I got back into it just kind of as a hobby. And then it was, you know, can I keep pushing it? Can I keep pushing it? Can I keep pushing it until, you know, the first time I ran 15 miles and then I ran 25 or 30 miles every week. Um, like one, you know, like every Saturday I did that for like three or four months. And that was when I decided like, okay, um, I think I want to try an ultra marathon. So you were going out on, on the weekend on a Saturday and running 25, 30 miles. Yeah, just to see if I could. And I learned a lot from that that helped me in my races. Like the first time I ran 15 miles, I didn't plan for it at all. I just, because I had run seven or eight miles a few times and it really didn't feel too bad. And I was like, ah, doubling it can't be that bad. Um, and it was like 90 degrees outside. Um, I just woke up. I didn't bring water. I didn't bring food. I was so miserable and shot at mile nine. And the, the way I used to do this was I would run in a straight line so that I didn't have a choice, but to run the full distance. So if you run a seven and a half miles out, whether you walk or crawl, you have to go seven and a half miles to get back. And I just remember how miserable that was. And I, I, I came home, fell on the ground, drank a ton of water and then slept for like three hours. But it was the first time I started to realize how much more you can do than you realize. But, you know, there's, there's smarter ways of doing it than, than what I did. But there's, right. you can do so much more than you realize. Yeah, I mean, your, your mind, and a lot of times when I talk about things, your mind is so powerful, whether you, you can do it, you can't do it, what you believe. But, you know, on the other side, maybe you just don't like it. 
but your mind is, is so powerful when you're out there. Like you said, we put ourselves into situations where we can't get out of because you, you force yourself to return to your car. So seven and a half out, seven and a half back. Like you said, you know, you just do it, but you learn to start, I'm sure preparing yourself a little bit better next time. Things like bringing uh, snacks, energy gels, salt pills, tons and tons of water, you know, clothes that are appropriate for the for the weather, things like that. Um, but you only learn through mistakes. And that's right. I, I, I think I you probably saw already, but I, I actually didn't complete two out of the three ultra marathons I've run so far. And because I ran them back to back to back on top of injuries is the reason why I haven't run any ultra marathons in almost five months now and won't be running another one for probably another four. Um, so those failures though, taught me so much more than I would have learned. I feel like if I had actually, because uh, when you succeed, you just learn that you can push yourself. When you fail, you, you have an opportunity to learn why you failed and how not to do it again. So in many ways, failure is a much better teacher than success. Yeah. Did, um, on the ultra marathons, what was the mileage on there? Cause I know that some are different. Yeah. So the first one I ran was 102 miles. The second one I ran was 55. The third one, which I actually completed was a 50 miler. And what kind of support crew do you have on those? Uh, because this was during the pandemic, they had different, each race had different rules about who could be there, what they could do. They had rules about pacers. In my first race, uh, everybody showed up. Uh, I mean, my dad took off work, drove there with me. My brother had to work a Saturday and left after work on Saturday, got there partway through my race. My grandma, grandpa, uncle, and baby cousin were, uh, my uncle lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. They were visiting him. So they made the drive to Raleigh to meet me. And they all stayed with me in the couple of days after my race when I couldn't really walk. Um, yeah. In my second race, one of my best friends lives in Boston. So I drove out, I drove on a Friday. I left work at like 5 p.m. I got to Boston just before midnight crashed at her place. And then she got up with me at 1.30 in the morning for us to drive to uh, New Hampshire to for the Manchester to Monadnock race that started at four in the morning. Oh, and then in my last race, my, uh, my girlfriend and one of my brother's friends actually drove with me from Rochester to Buffalo and then crewed me. But in all those races, they had different requirements. Like in the first one, my whole family could be there, but only one person could be in the aid stations at a time. So if I needed water, food, a change of clothes, only they could all come in the car, but only one of them could actually go into the aid station and help me out with that. Whereas the race, obviously Manchester Monadnock, I only had one friend with me, but then uh, the race in Buffalo, it, they didn't really seem to care too much. So both my, my girlfriend and my brother's friend were able to come and help me out in the aid stations. So the, um, the last one that you just completed, did that one, how well did you do? I've, so this is actually probably one of the coolest races I've ever run just because okay. um, for the first 18 miles, I was neck and neck with this lady and I was in, I ended up coming into the eight station in third place. Um, and we were averaging just, just over an eight minute mile and I was crushing it. I felt great. And at one point though, I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm tired. I need to slow down. Otherwise I'm going to burn out. Um, and she kept going. And so by the end of the race, I finished the race in just under 11 and a half hours, like 1127, 1128, something like that. So two really cool things happened. One, I finished with a man who was 67 years old, um, who was kind enough to actually let me cross the finish line first because it was my first time completing an ultra. But uh, essentially, we finished at the same time, 
which is which was really inspiring in many ways. Um, but the second thing that I learned after the race, looking up everybody and how they had done, uh, this lady whose name I cannot remember, I thought she was running a 50 miler. I didn't realize until the race was almost over and she actually lapped me that she was running a hundred miler. And by the end of the race at 45 or 46 years old, she had maintained a pace of just under 10 minutes per mile and finished a hundred miles in like 17 hours or something like that. It was absolutely oh my God. nuts. So it was, I got to finish a race with a, with a gentleman who was almost 70 years old and see just how really age doesn't mean anything. And then I also watched a lady push herself so far beyond what I ever thought would even be possible for myself. But so that race was really cool. Um, not just because I finally finished an ultra, but because I had two very clear examples of two very different things. Yeah. So what's your process when you're out there running and you're by yourself and, and what are you thinking about and what goes through your head during these? That's kind of evolved over time. This is actually something else I learned during the last race, which is you just, you got to find a way to trick your brain a little bit and you have to set small goals and it could be simple. Like the next aid station is a mile away. Just make it to the aid station, sit down for five minutes, drink some water, eat something. Don't think about it. Just stand back up and keep moving towards the end of the race. It's you're in, you're in a, for me, after 13 miles, things start to hurt. Um, it's just a matter of how much energy you have and how much they hurt, but everything hurts after 13 miles. So you know, no matter how long your race is, you have to deal with that pain. So the key to that is anything you can do to make yourself more comfortable, dry socks, changing your underwear, uh, making sure you have tons of Vaseline or some sort of similar body lubricant, mm-hmm. uh, making sure you're warm or not too hot. Taking care of little things gives your mind less things to actually start to kind of hammer you about. Um, and by the very end of the race, I'm usually counting footsteps like, okay, jog for 40, walk for 100, jog for 40, walk for 100. And you just kind of ignore how many miles are left. You just focus on, all right, I got to jog for 40 and then I got to walk for 100. And that's, that's all that's in your mind. But the key to all that is it's the most important thing is take care of small discomforts. Uh, have Advil, have salt tablets so you don't cramp up, chug water. Um, if you got to pee or go to the bathroom, do it. Don't, don't hold it. Those little things add up because once you start to feel pain, your brain is going to go to crazy places. You're going to be running and all of a sudden you're going to be thinking about a test that you failed when you were 10 years old that doesn't even remotely matter anymore, but it's just something for your brain to kind of hammer you about. And, and that's what's going to come up and you have to be ready for that. So did you just skip over doing regular marathons and go straight into this? Uh, yeah. So like I said, in high school, I was a sprinter. Um, I had to stop running for a long time because of injuries. Um, and then I just started running slowly and I was adding. The way I got into this is I would add either 5% in distance or remove 5% in the amount of time I wanted to run it. So it was either adding like you know, a mile or two, or, you know, I want to do this one to two minutes faster than I did it last time, something like that. And it just kept growing and growing. And then after a while, I, I was running longer than a marathon. Um, and this is, you know, kind of the messed up thing about this is, is you finish something. And the very first thing you realize is there, there is no finish line. The, the end of one race is the start of another. The peak of one mountain is just the base of another. So I actually signed up for my, my second race, the Manchester to Monadnock. I, I rolled my ankle really bad in the first race. I, it went between two rocks. I fell over the top of it. I heard it pop. 
And then I, I walked the four and a half miles to the next aid station. And I just, I was done, which was hard for me. And it actually still bothers me that I, that I chose to drop out of the race. But I signed up for Manchester to Madnock before I could walk. I was laying on the couch. Like my, my family had to carry me into the house. My brother was carrying me up and down the stairs to like take a shower and stuff. I was sleeping on the couch. It was actually while I was laying on the couch before I could walk, I, I signed up for another, um, I signed up for another race just because it, it's in your head. Like there, there's just, you're never done. No, there is no, there is no end. Like I never want there to be an end. There's no end of a goal. It's just what's next. And, yeah. and I, as long as I can do it, as long as I can get up and out of my house, what's next? Because once you start, once you start saying like, oh, that was a good run. I think we're good. That you, you slowly start dying inside. And I don't want that. You know, I 100% agree with you. I think what's more to that, though, is that a lot of people, and maybe I'm in a different situation. I'm pretty young. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a house. But I also know those things have to wait. One, you know, there's multiple reasons why they might have to wait for individual people. For me personally, you have goals and you just recognize that there's no way for you to be happy if you have to set them aside because they're going to haunt you for the rest of your life if you don't at least try. And yep. so there's things that just have to happen. But that also kind of gets into that boundary between badass and dumbass. It, I, it was ridiculous for me to sign up for another race that was eight weeks away when I couldn't walk yet. It was ridiculous for me to even run that race, even if I could walk, because I was just, I should have taken time to figure out why did I fail? Why am I injured? What do I need to do so that I could run a race? And then maybe I could have run that race four months later, and maybe I'd be running, maybe I would have run a race, you know, a month ago, and I'd be running another one in two months instead of this seven or eight month hiatus I have just trying to fix the damage that I did mm -hmm. in three races back to back to back. Yeah, because you're you're still kind of recovering yeah. right now. It, it was a it was a longer recovery. Um, do you think just because you pushed yourself a little too quick? Um, yeah, and actually, this is why. So when I was first starting to figure out, like, okay, I'm going to run an ultra. What does that mean? And what do I like? What do I do? What does that look like? Um, I was looking at everything online. So like. I had a ridiculous training regimen. I was, you know, I was at work eight or nine hours a day, uh, physical labor. I would go to the gym before I got to work. I'd go to the gym after I got to work. And I would do the same workout at the gym. I would uh, start with strength training. I would go to the pool and then I'd sit on the bike, really low heart rate, because it gave me a chance to research, but keep blood circulating, kind of more of an active recovery. And then I'd repeat that in the afternoon. So it was, it was just a ridiculous number of hours of training and work. And online, I was trying to research things like, how do you train for an ultra marathon? Like, how do you actually get ready for one? And one of the things that frustrates me now is that I would find these things that were like calendar to get ready for a hundred mile race in 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. And it would have these prescribed amounts of time or distance that you're running. One of the things that, it, you know, and everybody has to be careful and, and recognize what they're capable of and what level they're at. Obviously, if you're not there yet, you have to be honest with yourself. But even for someone who is there or who is close, it, it didn't like muscle can grow very fast. You can see an increase in muscle tone definition in eight days. Tendons, ligaments, bones take months to heal as well as to actually start to grow stronger. 
And, and that's where, when you're running these ultra long races or anything that's high endurance, you are stressing your muscles, absolutely. But what you need to be able to survive is strong connective tissue. And that takes months, if not years to develop. And I think that's one of the things that frustrates me more now that I've done research and I'm by no means an expert, but the more I, I, I read, the more I learn, the more I realize no one was really talking about that. And I don't think that's why I got hurt, but I also think that if I had probably read something like that, I probably would have said, okay, let me put this on hold for maybe another five, six months, really let my body be ready. And I think I would have been more successful in my first attempt. Mm. Yeah, because if I looked at it, I would think that your body is just going to adapt to it. So we start off slowly and we work our way up and we work our way up and then we get to the end goal and the body is just going to adapt. So that's the mindset that I think of if I was to pull one of those calendars up. And to some extent, that's true. And that's also where it depends on, you know, where is your body at? And that's, you really have to know yourself, which is also one of the things where like running a marathon every single week before I decided to do this kind of helped me because you learn things like how hard you can push. It's ridiculous. If you run hundreds and hundreds of miles, uh, you don't need a watch anymore. I can just, if I want to run a 930 mile, I can usually hit it within three or four seconds. It's, it's just, you can, you just get so used to that pace, uh, you know, counting your breaths, counting your steps, counting whatever, you can kind of figure it out. And your body does absolutely adapt. Whether or not it adapts enough, it's a very personal thing. And that's what has left out a lot of the information online is how to really assess where you're at and what needs to happen for you to get to where you want to go, whether that be two miles, 25 or a hundred or yeah. somewhere in between. And that's what a lot of the resources that I found online kind of leave out. And that's something that frustrated me more, the more I learned and the more I got hurt. A lot of people would probably ask like, why do you do it? A lot of people ask that. And honestly, I've, I've actually, <laughs> I've never honestly told anybody why I do it. Uh, and the reason is it, it kind of gets into the whole negativity thing. I, I just, I did it just because I wanted to see if I could. What I've always told people is I was dared by a friend to do it because at least I always kind of had a crazy personality growing up. Uh, people could at least make sense of that. But people who care about you, they don't want to hear that you're going to try and do something that crazy, that painful, just just cause, just to see if you can. So I, I guess I've always kind of lied about it. I've always said, you know, I'm doing this because I, in all honesty, I'm doing this for myself to see if I can. I run to raise money for charities. But in all honesty, that's kind of an afterthought. It was one of those things where I was looking at these ultra marathons. And I realized a lot of ultra marathoners were sponsored by organizations or they were sponsoring organizations. And I was like, well, I'm not going to raise as much money as them, but there's no reason I can't do that. So mm -hmm. the charities are an afterthought. It is, an, it is a motivator, but ultimately I run it for myself to see what I'm capable of and how much I've grown. So what did you mean by um, well-intentioned negativity versus true negativity well-intentioned negativity is that is like what you think of your mom or your grandma saying like you know don't go outside when it's cold without a coat because you'll get cold don't train so long because you're tired and you need to sleep it's they don't want to see you in pain they don't want to see you uncomfortable and it's not because they don't want to see you succeed they just it hurts them to see you hurt and you might have to hurt to get ready for what you're doing, which is, especially when you're talking about an ultra marathon, you have to be able to handle the discomfort that you're going to experience. And you have to, in some ways, simulate that in a safe manner. 
but your family doesn't want to see that. True negativity is people who don't want to see you succeed because they don't want to see you do something that they can't do. So they come up with excuses for why you won't pass or why you won't achieve something. And when you don't, they're just going to be talking about how they knew you couldn't do it the whole time. It's that person who's in your ear. Why you when you when you want to try again after you failed? Why are you still doing this? Haven't you learned yet? Yeah. Things like that. The the importance between the two is that there's lessons in both. One is it shows you who truly cares about you. And the the crazy thing though is the people who have just genuine negativity who don't want to see you succeed, they usually have some logical reason for why you won't. In my case. My body proportions for an ultra marathon are, are a little bit off. I, I'm relatively short, about five seven, uh, and pretty heavy for an ultra marathoner, about 180 pounds. Usually, people my weight are about five or six inches taller, or they're my height and about 50 to 60 pounds lighter. And it's just be a matter of the force that you're putting on your bones, on your joints. It, it adds up when you take hundreds of thousands of steps in a single day. It, it all adds up really fast. The lighter or taller you are, the less it kind of hits you. Um, so I had a lot of people that were talking to me like, hey, you're, you're too, you're, you're not the right shape, I guess, to, to run ultra marathons. And in some, some ways they might be right. The key to that was they came up with a logical reason for why I couldn't succeed. If I had just ignored them, I'd be ignoring the fact that they pointed out a very true, realistic problem that I had to learn to deal with. So there's still things you can learn from people who are being negative because they usually have a good reason for their negativity. But ultimately, you need to shut out. They just don't want to see you succeed. And that is what it is. And that's okay. But listen yeah. to why they're saying you're not going to succeed, because it's probably something you're going to have to address. I know. I hate that part of the of human nature, because I've I've done it before. I've been there and I'm I'm like, oh, why is he doing that? And, and what is he trying to prove? And what? And it doesn't make a damn difference in my life, whether they right. do it. You know what I mean? Like, like, why do we as human beings succumb to that sometimes until you sit back and you, you realize like, it doesn't matter. And I should be happy for that person. Right. Absolutely. And most of the time, it's just like you said, it's because I don't want to go out there and run 30 miles on the weekend. So I'm going to tell you that you're silly for doing it. Absolutely. You know, and I hate that, but and everybody's do it, done it. Everybody's done it. Everybody's done it. And, but as long as you can start to really recognize why you're putting that person down when you really should be supporting them, you know, then you start to realize like, um, it's me. I, I'm the one with the issue. And it's funny that you talked about the different type of negativity as a parent, because I've got a 21 year old and a soon to be 19 year old. And I've been there like, don't cross the street. I don't want you to get hurt and don't do that. Cause I don't want you to get hurt. And, and really you should be sitting back and, and teaching them how to do it. Right. And, you know, but you're right. You don't want to see them in pain. Um, but, but you have to go through pain in life to get better. We can't coddle our kids all the time. We can't sit there and put them in a bubble. They've got to go out or they're never going to grow. And I, I can't speak to a parent. I can speak to my, you know, what it is like to be a son of, of parents. And um, I saw three completely different reactions from my, from my mom, my dad, and my stepmom. My stepmom was just, she didn't like the idea of it. 
because it was, it, it's ridiculous to think that you're going to run that many miles in a, in a 36 hour period. And as a parent, that's probably scary. And she didn't, it wasn't really negativity. It was just caution. She was just very cautious. Like, are you sure you're ready for this? Are you sure you can do that? And then after my first race, I had a lot less of that because I was running distances that I, I'd run before. Um, I, you know, I made it to 62.5 in the first race before dropping out. So I could definitely do 50 and 55. You know, my dad, on the other hand, his biggest concern was what are the long-term effects of you running like this? And he just wanted to make sure that I knew what I was getting into. He, he basically wanted to make sure I was doing something dangerous in a, in a safe way. Like, are you doing something dangerous, but safely doing it? Mm-hmm. And that was what he was concerned about. And he was 100% there for me. I mean, uh, in my first race, the, the skin on the bottom of my feet was peeling off because um, the, the track was flooded. So it was wet for the first 30 miles. So I had like cracks in my feet. It was peeling off and he was cleaning the dirt out of the cracks in my feet. He was, he was peeling the, the dead skin off. He was bandaging my feet. And it, it's I, honestly, it smelled horrendous. So I'm not really sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, and he stayed awake for almost 24 hours with me while I was running that race. So he was completely there 100%. It doesn't mean that I didn't get some well-intentioned negativity, but it also doesn't mean that he wasn't there to support me. And, and same thing with my mom. Um, again, why are you doing this? Is this a smart idea? Do you know what's going to happen? And what can I do to help you? And I think that's kind of where the difference between well-intentioned and true negativity is, is well-intentioned is just, they don't want to see you hurt, but they're going to have your back 100%. Whereas people who are truly negative, they just don't want to see you succeed. Do you feel as though that you are at a point of obsession with the running or have you not gotten to that point? No, I'm, uh, I'm completely obsessed in the sense that I truly do not like to run. Like it's, it's boring. Um, it takes a lot of time out of your day to go run 10 miles, but I love the way I feel. And I love what I'm proving to myself when I go do it. And I recognize that it's a way for me to constantly measure where I'm at now, mentally, physically, and emotionally, as compared to where I'll be in several months, whether whether I've gone up or down, that's completely within my hands. And this is just a measuring stick, Mm -hmm. the running. And that's why I do it. Do you have a morning routine that you do that kind of get your mindset to help you progress on through the day? So it depends on what, for me, ultra marathoning, getting ready for an ultra marathon has phases. Uh, right now I, I'm in what I call like a, a baseline phase where I'm just trying to figure out where my base is. Can I run two miles a day nonstop with no repercussions? Can I run six miles a day nonstop every single day with no repercussions? Where am I starting? Once I start to get about 10 to 12 weeks out from a race is where I start to go through more of a workup phase where I'm trying to get to where I need to be in terms of running that race. So that is constant. So it's, it's really, it's, it can be as complex or as simple as you want. I found a way that works for me. Um, I like to do, I like to hit weights three times a week. I like to do lots of yoga and stretching, which is part of the recovery Lots of mobility, stability, and flexibility exercises. Again, that's part of the recovery. And that never stops. But what you're training for does. Right now, I'm trying to get stronger. Physically, my upcoming race is going to be in the mountains of the Rockies. I have to be able to hike for 100 miles through mountains. When I get closer to race day, eight, nine, 10 weeks out, the first three weeks of that is dedicated to 
preparing your body. So slowly increasing your workload because uh, you, you don't want to shock your body all at once. The next five weeks. So in that fourth week, I'm trying to hit where I'm going to feel at mile 60 in that level of fatigue, not so much the pain, but that level of fatigue, tiredness, mentally, you don't want to do it. Emotionally, you're wrung out. And, you, and I try to hold that for four weeks. So that's where you're going to the gym twice a day. You're trying to, like every Friday, I would intentionally stay up for 36 hours and work out nonstop for 36 hours. It didn't have to be something crazy. It could be like, do five push-ups, 10 pull-ups, 20 sit-ups, take a, take a three-minute break, but then do that again and again and again for 36 hours. Can you keep your body moving for the amount of time that you're going to have to keep your body moving for that race? Um, you know, my running volume really decreases. I, I focus on cardio, but I try to do things that are less heavy impact. So like biking and the stair climber and swimming as opposed to running on pavement. Um, and then in the last three to four weeks, I'm just starting to taper things off, focusing more on low heart rate cardio, lots of stretching and flexibility in a tapering phase. So physically, that's where, that's what gets me to where I need to be for a race. Mentally, every night before I go to bed, you have, I like to do just kind of a check-in. What was today like? Would I consider that successful? If not, why not? And what do I have to do tomorrow? And then when you wake up in the morning, right before I get out of bed, I wanna kind of do the same thing. Why wasn't yesterday successful or why was it? And how do I improve on today? And that kind of gets into the emotional side of things too. Uh, and that's something that you really can't train for. But if you wanna see it, um, pretty much everybody can hop on a bike and they can do 40 miles in one day. But I guarantee if you do 40 miles in one direction, when you hit mile 20, you're going to realize just how exhausted and in pain you are, how tired you are, how thirsty, how hungry. And it's almost going to bring you to tears because you're so frustrated because you've come so far, but you're so far away. And, and that's something that you really can't prepare for because it, it hits you out of nowhere. But the best way to start preparing for that is to make sure you, you have to address everything. You have to be honest with yourself, which is really hard. You don't have necessarily have to be honest with anybody else, but you have to be honest with yourself. And for me, that's a daily practice. Just at night before I go to bed, in the morning when I wake up, how do I feel? Why? How do I be more successful than yesterday? Yeah. And also, you got to make it easy for yourself. When I'm in like that seven, eight work week long workup phase where I'm just kind of hammering the training, I make my lunch before I go to bed. I make sure my coffee is ground and in the coffee press before I go to bed. And I've got a pot ready to boil water when I get up. I make sure that my Breakfast is something simple. If I can prep any of it in any way, I've done that. Your clothes are laid out. Um, you have a checklist that you're going to do for that day. If you don't have to think about it, it makes it easier for yourself because you really have to get up and do it if you're actually going to be ready. So you have to make it easy for yourself as possible. Man, that's awesome. So your next race is a hundred miler? It's going to be a hundred miler in the mountains. There's three races I'm kind of choosing between, but they're June, July, and August. I'm leaning towards the one in June. Waiting right now, um, ultra marathons are expensive, so I'm saving up the money for them, but also trying to figure out, at some point I gotta take kind of a leap of faith. Like, yes, I will be ready in X number of months. Will that be June? Will it be July? Will it be August? At some point I'm gonna have to just- Sign it up. Yeah. I think I'm kind of a little resistant to it at the moment, but I'm trying to, figure that out yeah 
So I know you're, you're focused and you're obsessed with the, the running and the ultra marathons. Do you have once, do you have like, Hey, I'm done. Good. I did this, this now off to this next thing. Do you have a next thing or are you just still onto the run? Um, I, I want to expand a little bit just because I, I want to be as well-rounded of an athlete as possible. Again, that kind of gets back into my body size. I'm not a typical size for an ultra marathoner. I, I don't want to necessarily be an ultra marathoner. I'm not training to win races. I'm training to complete them. That That is the goal for me. That might not be for everybody, but for me, my goal is to complete them. But I also love rock climbing. I love backpacking. I want to get into triathlons because I love swimming and biking as well. Um, what I want to do though, is find something I can continuously do physically. That's going to push myself. Again, I, I always want that yardstick that I can measure myself against, but for the foreseeable future, um, there's a list of a couple of really cool races that I want to do like uh, Leadville. I want to try and do next year, which is another race in, in Colorado. I'd love to be able to run Badwater at some point. There's the hurt 100 in Hawaii, which just sounds absolutely wicked. Um, <laughs> uh, there's, um, the Moab 240. And the, it might be five, six years before I get there. Like I said, I technically only finished a 50 miler. Um, yeah. So I don't really have a timeline. When I get there, I get there. But that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. These are things I know I need to do before I'm going to be happy setting things down. And I might find another race before I actually do say, okay, I need to start diversifying because the running is too hard on my body, whatever it might be. But I know that those things have to happen or I have to at least attempt them. Otherwise, it's, it's going to bug me forever. So we talked about um, a couple of the charities that you run for. And, and you said that uh, Action Against Hunger is one. And then Next of Kin Registry is another. What is Next of Kin Registry? So that's not really a charity. What okay. it is, is so Mark Cerny actually kind of came up with this. And what they do is... They partner with FEMA as well as a lot of local law enforcement. They mostly come into play during major disasters. Think the tornadoes that just happened not too long ago, where what they do is they try to reach out to people. So they have a registry of people who are the next of kin, and it assists in helping them find people who are lost or dead as a result of natural disasters. They work worldwide. They did start in the U.S. They primarily work with the American FEMA, uh, but they do also partner with local law enforcement. When someone goes missing, they're able to kind of step in and help put together a network of human resources, people who know these people, people who knew where they lived, what they did. Um, one, just so that the family knows what's going on, but two, they might have information that can help locate some of these people. So they're, they're a nonprofit um, organization. And what I'm going to be trying to do, what I'm trying to do in my next race, one, is raise awareness for them because it's really important that everybody take some time to sign up. It's not one of those things you really want to think about, but it, it could be a very important thing in the future. It's free for people to sign up. But the other thing is they are a nonprofit. So making sure that I'm trying to work to figure out how we can exact, how exactly we can donate money to them um, to help them with their funding and, and expansion because they're trying to grow and add new things to be more effective. Um, so still trying to figure that out a little bit, but I, I want to raise some awareness for them and I'm, I'm going to hopefully be running to raise some money for them um, with my next race. So that's just something that anybody can go to and sign up and you sign up and put your information there and your, your family. And so if something was to happen to me, then all they have to do is go in there and go, okay, well, we've got to get a hold of so-and-so. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Great idea. Yeah. And like I said, mostly it becomes a, a something that happens during um, natural disasters when a lot of people mm-hmm. are missing, presumed dead, um, but they don't really know. So it, it's a good way to, okay, this person's missing. Let's reach out to their family. Do they know where they are? Do they know what's going on? At the very least, they now know that this person is missing and they have an idea of they're, they're not in the so much in the dark anymore. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's really what it does. And you just go in, sign yourself up, put your information in there. Um, it's one of those things you hope that you never really need, but you're probably glad that you've done it once if you do need it. Right. Well, you know what? I appreciate you sitting down with me today to talk. Um, hopefully people have a little more of an understanding on the ultra marathons, the power of the mind. And um, if people are sitting back thinking about doing something, I would encourage them to jump in and go and do it. And your story was really good. And um, good luck at your race coming up. Absolutely. No, you haven't chosen it yet, but, uh, but you're working towards it. And um, I think you're going to do great. Thank you very much. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms, and be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care.